You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2, we're going to uh, read a part of the Christmas story, verses 8 through 14. Um, But my plan this morning is not to exegete that, that text but to uh, talk about the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And uh, I think that carol is based on this text we're about to read, but one of the reasons I, I want to do this, a couple of reasons this morning, is, is that it's so easy for us at Christmas, and we talk about it, that, that we've, we can fall into familiar, familiarity of, uh, of the sentimentality of all of these things and kind of forget sometimes the meaning uh, the content, the person that we're singing about. And uh, I prayed earlier uh, that from Isaiah twenty nine thirteen about the warning that we're given about uh, worshiping God with our lips while our hearts are far from us. And uh, so I hope this will be a healthy thing that we do as we walk through this hymn and think about what it is that is uh, teaching us and sharing with us, uh, reminding us from the scriptures. Another purpose, uh, and it's kind of behind that, that purpose as well, is that my hope for our church is that we will continually, we will grow uh, more doctrinally sound as, as a church. Acts 2 reminds us that very first early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to their teaching. Much of the New Testament was written uh, to encourage sound doctrine. And, and I think contrary to what the trends are today, that it is sound doctrine that leads to greater devotion, not less. It is doctrine that leads to more faithful evangelism, not less. It is doctrine that leads us to more meaningful worship, uh, stronger fellowship, not less. And so I, I hope that even uh, when we sing, that we are given thought to what we are singing, to the doctrine that we're confessing when we sing, uh, rather than just being lulled to sleep by uh, something that feels good or uh, sentimental uh, and so forth. So there's no doubt that this text that we're about to read was at the forefront of Charles Wesley's mind. That's the man who wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Brief prayer. Lord, um, as always, we need your help to hear, not, not just physical sounds, but Lord, to hear your voice. 
the voice of your spirit through your holy word. And so give us those ears now that we might understand and be able to apply these things to our lives. And I pray that you'd use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hopefully you are somewhat familiar with the hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It was written by Charles uh, Wesley. And uh, Charles and his brother John were uh, evangelists in uh, England during the 1700s where they uh, were instrumental in founding the, the Methodist Church. Charles was much more known for his hymn writing than he was his preaching. He wrote some 6,000 hymns. Um, We still sing some of them today. At Easter time, we'll sing uh, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. Great hymn written by by Wesley. But Hark the Herald was uh, another hymn that he wrote in 1739. And I think it's probably one of the best Christmas carols that we can sing, at least in terms of of content and the theology of it. When Charles wrote this song, it was written, again, those mid-1700s, when England, the church in England, Christianity in England was really struggling at that time. Here's what one historian writes about it. The Church of England had replaced much of its theological vigor with a more stagnant faith one that de-emphasized doctrine in favor of reasonable religion, outward works, and enlightenment thinking. Largely missing was a commitment to the notion that Christianity was actually true and thus required of Christians personal conviction, repentance, and transformation. So at that particular time, there was a de-emphasizing, kind of a dumbing down of of doctrine, if you will. One of the heresies of of that time was that Christ was not God incarnate, that Christ was just a mere man, Uh, perhaps a good man, a religious teacher, someone you could follow and you should follow, has great morals, but he was not God. And it was men like the Wesley brothers Uh, along with uh, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and others who were leading this revival, calling the church back to sound doctrine during that that time. You know, we think that seemed like such a long time ago until I was reading recently about the doctrinal decline in our own day and time. This is widely published. You can check it out on the internet. Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research have documented the doctrinal decline in our own day and time. According to the most recent edition, this was 2022, a stunning 43% of today's evangelical Christians believe that Jesus was a great teacher but not God. Now think about that. 43%. That means that nearly half of all professing evangelical Christians today are not Christians. That's alarming, isn't it? And and it's quite a warning as well that that when churches start to de-emphasize doctrine in an effort perhaps to grow more of a crowd that we inevitably create 
shallow Christians, or not even Christians at all. The kind that Paul talked about when he said they were tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The kind of people that are confused about who Jesus really is. So what I pray for in our church is that we would be growing more doctrinally sound and not less. And the benefit of songs like Wesley's Hark the Herald Angels Sing is that that song is, is both instructional and inspirational, if you will. It, it, it teaches us about Christ and, and at the same time gives us these wonderful reasons to worship him. It's this doctrine that's inspiring doxology and praise. Because here's the thing, this was that historian I quoted earlier. He said, as the Wesleys understood, Jesus will not remain a mere cultural decoration for long. Christmas announces his lordship over all creation. His life, obedience, death, and resurrection ensure that the darkness will end and that he is the light that comes into the world and reveals truth about everything. So let's think about this hymn, the words of this great hymn this morning. Uh, I've got just three headings for us. The first is the announcement of Jesus' birth. That's the opening words of uh, Wesley's song, Hark, I'm not going to sing it by the way, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Obviously this is referring to Luke 2, 8, isn't it? it it's when the angels appear to the shepherds in the field announcing the birth of Jesus. There's no doubt that Angels were a big part of the Christmas story. We've been talking about some of those in our study of, of Daniel uh, has come up. In Luke chapter 1, we see Gabriel appearing to uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's parents. Uh, 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 we've got uh, the angel appearing to Mary uh, here in Luke chapter 2. Matthew chapter 1 to Joseph in a dream. When Gabriel appeared, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, Luke 1.19 says this, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. The word angelos is, is the word messenger, messengers, if you will, from God. Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. I'm here speaking for God. I'm here on behalf of him. I was sent by God to bring you this message, this good news. You could say that all of the angelic appearances in the Bible were sent, uh, were to send a message from God. Sometimes the message was you know, much louder than just words, right? Think about some of those stories. These were terrifying beings, terrifying encounters, as, as once again, they represented the very presence and message of God to those that they encountered. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have been those shepherds that night when the angel appeared to them and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with terror, the Bible says, and understandably so. But also when I read that, I wonder, I, I, I wonder if, it, if they didn't feel from the angel's standpoint that things were a bit understated at that point because I think this was the greatest announcement of the world that they were making. 
Good news, verse 10, of great joy that will be for all people. For under you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Is there any greater news, church, than this? And yet the angels were told to go and tell a group of shepherds outside of Bethlehem that news. I, I, I heard one pastor from Louisville who quipped this. He said, if I had been in charge, it would have been thunder over Bethlehem. <laughs> but we're not in charge, and that's not how it went. God's son was born in a manger because there was no room for them in the end, and the birth announcement was just meant, it was just to these lowly shepherds uh, out in the field Uh, But but when you stop and think about things, isn't that the pattern of how we see God work so many times? The the Apostle Paul's words, 1 Corinthians 1, 27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's just like his pattern. This little baby, through this little baby would come our salvation. That's an amazing thing. The most impressive part is verse 13 and 14, perhaps when suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is Now, we're not told how many it was there. We know that the scripture says that there are myriads and myriads, thousands and thousands of angels of God. Uh, But but here it's a multitude, and obviously just visible by these shepherds, uh, and this multitude was praising God. I read this week that when Wesley wrote this song, the opening line didn't mention angels at all. In fact, the title uh, was something like, Hark How the, this is an old English word apparently, I didn't know, Welkin, How the Welkin Rings, Glory to the King of Kings. The word Welkin was uh, apparently an English word that meant skies or heavens, how the skies or heavens ring. George Whitfield, who was a, a good friend of Wesley, changed the words to Hark the Herald Angels Sing which kind of ended up catching on and sticking, but Wesley didn't like it at all. He was really upset about it because Whitfield had not only uh, didn't ask him for permission to do that, Wesley thought these words were, were not biblical because Luke doesn't say that the angels sang at the birth of Jesus, does it? It says that they said, they praised God saying. Well, I guess technically, technically Wesley was right, but I think we would all agree today that whether it's spoken or sung, this gospel needs to be proclaimed today. Amen? And the carol invites us to proclaim it. At the end of verse 1, we sing this, Joyful, all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Just as the angels announced the gospel, we need to proclaim it as well. Paul wrote in Romans 10, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
The second verse of the carol emphasizes the identity of Jesus' person. And this is where the theology or, or, or the Christology, as we might say, is so rich when we sing these words. Uh, I've got it up on the screen for you, I think. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Each one of those phrases are emphasizing beliefs from the scriptures about our Lord Jesus Christ. These are foundational kinds of beliefs, foundational convictions that are essential to our Christian faith. And uh, I want to mention just a, a few of them to you. First of all, we see Jesus' deity. Verse two of the hymn, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. This carol is proclaiming Jesus is not just another man, he is the everlasting Lord. One of the things that makes God, God, is that he is everlasting, he's eternal. He is an eternal being, he has no end or beginning. How remarkable is it in John's gospel, his version of the Christmas story, so to speak, says this, in the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus, he was the word in the beginning and the word was with God and the word was God. John wants us to see that unlike the story of every other human being on this planet, all of us, the story of Jesus does not begin at his human conception. John is saying Jesus already was in the beginning. There there never was a time when Christ did not exist. The word was with God and the word was God. Though distinct from the Father and from the Spirit, Jesus is not a creature. He is divine in and of himself. Just as the Father is. He's fully God. There's nothing higher that could be said about Jesus than this. The Word is not only eternal and equal. The Word is God. Jesus is God in His attributes, in His character, in His very nature, in His personality. And it's why the highest heaven adores Him. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Secondly, we see his incarnation. Notice the phrase uh, late in that second verse, late in time, behold him come. Comes from Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Or as John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen to it in Wesley's lyric, veiled in flesh, The Godhead, see, we see him. Hail the incarnate deity, God in the flesh. Please with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. That that was a truth that needed to be confessed in Wesley's day. And beloved, it still needs to be confessed in our day. 
Jesus was God before he became a man. And when he became a man, he did not cease becoming God. MacArthur states it so well. He says, he writes this, the eternal word became flesh, something he had never been before, without ceasing to be what he always was. His divine nature added human nature, but not a sinful nature. God took on the fullness of humanity while remaining fully God. But you know this, we remind ourselves of it every year in some way, shape, or form. We have not gathered to worship this morning because another baby has been born. We have not gathered to worship today because the baby in that manger was merely human. We are gathered to worship today because that baby in that manger was God. In every way, shape, and form. We are not here today because he grew up to be this remarkably good spiritual leader and example, one among many religious leaders in the world. That's not why we are here today. We are not here today because he's just another man or prophet or teacher. We are here today because he is God. Wesley's Carol emphasizes this even more by noting Jesus' virgin birth. That line in verse 2 of the hymn, offspring of a virgin's womb. Now, unfortunately, there is, again, strong skepticism towards this belief today, especially in many Christian colleges and some seminaries as well. In spite of the fact this is clearly what is the message of the Scripture, both Matthew and Luke go out of their way to communicate this remarkable truth, and they do so because of how important it is. Back a few years ago, it's been several now, Newsweek had did an article about this questioning the veracity of the virgin birth and the author at that time, John Meacham, argued that the infancy and the birth narratives of Jesus were simply invented by the early church in order to answer kind of awkward questions and maybe to develop some full-orbed theology and understanding of Jesus. What that article was trying to do was get you to, to believe that you can throw away the virgin birth and still be a Christian. That you don't have to believe that part. And, and I, I would just say to you today that... that no, you, you have to believe that part to be a Christian. If you don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, then how can you believe that he is anything more than just a mere man? And if you don't believe that Jesus is more than just a mere man, how can you believe that he is God? And if you don't believe that Jesus was God, how can he do anything about saving you from your sins? And again, MacArthur underscores the truth well. Apart from Jesus being both human and divine, there is no gospel. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is the central fact of Christianity. I think that's exactly right. Jesus did not become God. He was and is God. And his virgin birth, his substitutionary death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming again, these are all integral parts of his deity. They all stand together and they all fall together. If any of those teachings are rejected, you've rejected the entire gospel. 
And so we, we emphatically declare here, if Mary was not a virgin, if Jesus was conceived by just Joseph, he could not be the son of God. He could not be the perfect, sinless sacrifice for our sins. But thank God, Jesus is the virgin-born, sinless son of God. And when we sing these carols, we are confessing that together as a church. We are confessing that together before a world who's watching and listening. We hold these things to be true. Third, I want you to see the significance of Jesus' work. The significance of his work. Now again, the world would love to lump him in with so-called other religious teachers and moral men as, those, as though he has just left us an example to follow, as though the angels appeared on the hillside to those shepherds to tell them that there's a godly man who's been born. No, the good news of great joy is that the Son of God has been born. The Savior has been born. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Wesley put it so beautifully in that first verse and uh, that line, that great line when he said, God and sinners reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. See, maybe Wesley was thinking about Colossians 1, 21, Uh, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, God, is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Or maybe he was thinking of Romans 5.10 that says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. In the very first verse of his carol, he's, Wesley is laying out for us the gospel that is, that is taught right in the Bible. The Bible teaches that in our natural state, we are alienated from God. We're enemies of God. We're hostile to God. But the good news is that Jesus came And he went to the cross, he paid our sin debt in full that we might be reconciled to God, saved from his wrath, brought into his family. Listen to the work in the third verse of Wesley's carol of how he describes all of this. He says, hail the heavenly prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Again, each of these phrases are thoroughly based on the the scriptures describing what Jesus has done for us. Let me walk through them really quickly. Hail the heavenly prince of peace. Where do we hear prince of peace? Isn't that famous text from Isaiah 9, 6? Wonderful counselor, uh, mighty God, everlasting father, and, and prince of peace. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. That is to make peace between us and God. 
That's what the angels said as well. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. That phrase, the next phrase, hail the son of righteousness and risen with healing in his wings. Those phrases come from Malachi chapter four, verse two in the Old Testament, the prophet. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. It's a beautiful picture of what Paul was writing about in Romans chapter three, that that we cannot be saved by any righteousness that we can muster up on our own. We must be saved by the righteousness of Jesus given to us by faith. That phrase in 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 uh, the hymn, light and life, to all he brings, that's John 1, 4. In him was life and life was the light of men. Christ is the way, the truth and the life. He's the light that overcomes the darkness of our sins. He's able to give life to dead souls. He's able to save, he's able to reconcile. He's able to bring peace between us and God. This is what Jesus came to do. Notice how Wesley explains it in the closing words of verse three. He says, mild he lays this glory by, and I love this, this little triplet here. Born that man no, no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. What the, the, the significance of, of, of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas, it's all wrapped up in, 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 in these glorious truths, born that no more men, no more may die. I think about the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Or John 11, 25, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He was born to raise the sons of earth. He was born to give them second birth. That's the story of Nicodemus, isn't it? Where Jesus said to him, you remember John chapter three, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is a reminder of how great this message of Christmas is. That phrase born again indicates that what you and I need in our lives is not a a little bit of fixing up. We don't need like a little bit of remodeling. Like you you came here, you were already pretty good, um, but but now you know you're in church and so you could be a little bit better. No, our sins have left us dead and we need to be reborn spiritually. Only God can do that. And he does it through his son, Jesus Christ. I heard someone put it like this. If you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll die once. That is, if you are born in your natural state, you will die both a natural death and a spiritual death, being separated from God for all eternity because of your sins. Born once, die twice. But if you are born again spiritually through faith in Jesus Christ, you will die only physically and you will enter into everlasting life with God. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
You see all the wonderful phrases. It's no wonder Wesley used the word hark, which we don't usually say, but hark as the first word of this carol. It means to listen. It means to listen up. It means to hear this. It means to sit up on the edge of your seat, take notice, pay attention. Something really significant has happened. In fact, it's a matter of life, eternal life and eternal death. Hear this good news. Hearken to it. Don't just hear it. Believe it. And then those words, hail, hail the incarnate deity. Hail. That means to acclaim. It means to salute. It means to acknowledge someone's greatness and authority. This Savior that's been born to us, we need to hail him. The Bible says in Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means you acclaim him, you acknowledge him, you submit to him as your Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The only way to receive all these wonderful promises of this carol, that is the light and life and righteousness and peace and healing and reconciliation with God, it's just full of these things. The only way is, is those who are willing to hear this good news and to hail Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's the great question before us. Will you? Well, we're about to sing this wonderful care. And I hope that you will sing it with a different set of uh, appreciation and eyes and ears and for what you are singing and who you are singing about and what you are declaring today. We're not singing this song in mere sentimentality because that's what we always sing every Christmas. No, we're making a declaration to the world. We believe Jesus is the Son of God, our Savior. And we're declaring it to one another these precious truths. We believe them. We believe them all. We hold to them. And let us sing in such a way to give testimony of our faith in Jesus Christ. If you do not know, perhaps today the invitation before you is to sing this song with faith. Maybe you've never considered these truths before. Maybe Maybe this song will in fact be the, the confession of the first time your ears have really heard and your heart has really believed and hailed him as the Savior and Lord of your life. I invite you to do that today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark, and if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.